Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. So Hosea is the longest book of all of these amount of prophet books that we're getting into. It's 14 chapters, and um, like I said, he was a contemporary of Amos there in Israel. And um, the name Hosea means salvation or deliverance. Hosea uh, just like Jehovah, it's very akin to Jehovah. Um, in the Greek, his name is O-C, O-S-E-E. Uh, and you see that, um, I think Paul talks about him in, in Romans 9, addresses him like that. In the King James Version, it'll say O-C. That's who it's talking about, Hosea. All right? <clears throat> so he's living during this, during this time. Now, now, let me just say something about the northern kingdom at this time. It's very prosperous. All right? They have, they have overthrown the Syrians, which were a big problem for Israel for many years. But they, were, they succeeded Jeroboam II. Uh, the second Jeroboam has, is the king. And, and now he's not a good king, but Israel is really doing well. A lot of prosperity in the land. Um, they, they've actually ex- almost extended their borders back to where they were during Solomon's reign. All right? And so it's in this setting that God comes to speak to them uh, through this prophet. Now, I want to just talk about our memento tonight. Remember, our, during this Route 66 series, we have a, a map, uh, which M stands for memento, A stands for attraction. Uh, the attraction is the, the, the big thing, uh, the big thought, or the big theological truth in this book. Memento is something that we're going to take home practically into our lives to meditate and to think on and to pray about and to live by. And then the person of Jesus is where the P is, and that's where the Bible always arrives. We always arrive at him. He's the centerpiece of the entire word. Amen? So let's go to Hosea chapter 14. Let's go to the the last chapter for just a moment. We're going to pick up our memento here. It says, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you. Now, I want you to listen to the language of this. This is God inviting them, speaking to them, all right, and saying, listen, even after all this, this last chapter is where God is, is finally bringing hope to Israel, all right? There's a lot of <laughs> judgment uh, declarations throughout, I mean, especially from like verses or chapters 4 to 13, all right? Uh, it's, it's very dark. But then here, he says, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him. Take away all iniquities. Receive us graciously. Now, he's, he's not only saying take words. He's saying use these words. I'm going to give you some words to say. Words I like to hear. Words I want to hear from you. All right? Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Verse 3, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands... You are gods, or to the idols that they had carved. For in you the fatherless finds mercy. Now let me remind you today, this this is what the Lord told them to say, but this is your reality today. He has already taken away your iniquity. The Scripture says He took it out of the way. Jesus Christ has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He has taken our sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. All right? So that's a good thing. When you come to him, listen, let me remind you tonight, God wants to hear from you. So I'm going to tell you like we tell our children when they're growing up and we know that they can speak at this point, but they're still mm, grunting. We say, use your words. All right? Use your words. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear your voice. 
Amen. And, and he has already accepted us by his grace. Thank God for that. And he's already teaching them back then, this New Testament reality. Receive us graciously. Not because we've earned it, but because you simply choose to do that for us. And this is God telling them to say that. This is beautiful. This is what's been in his heart the entire time. And then it says, uh, let's go back to where was uh, verse 2 for a moment, Lisa, if we could. Receive us great, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Do y'all remember that verse of Scripture? Does that sound familiar to you? Offer him praise and thanks. That's what Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says. Listen to this. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And that's what he was saying. This, this is what God has been longing for the entire time. He's telling us, this is what I'm wanting. And, and, and the sacrifice, this word sacrifice here in, in the original Septuagint is, is actually a literal bull sacrifice. He said, what I'm wanting is actually coming from your mouth. That is equal or even better, more desired than, the, than those blood sacrifices. This will do what that sacrifice will do. Wow. Offer up your words. Offer up, give me some words. Let me hear from you. And let it be uh, words of praise. And then it says, then it goes on to say in verse 4, and, or verse 3, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, Assyria. He's telling them what to say, right? They will not save us. We will not ride on a horse. In other words, what he's saying is, I want you to reaffirm your trust in me. Reaffirm your trust in God. All right? Use your words. Offer him praise and thanks. And reaffirm your trust in him. I'm not looking to, I, really, I thank God for the job, but the job's not my ultimate source. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I thank you for medication. I thank you for doctor, but that's not my ultimate source. You're my healer. Yeah. I'm not putting my trust ultimately in these things. These things are helpful, but my trust is in you. All right? I'm not going to depend on any of these things for my life source. You are the one who provides all my needs according to your riches and glory. Yeah. You're my supply. Matter of fact, Jesus taught us, don't seek after those things. Seek first the kingdom, the king and his kingdom. And all those things will be byproducts in your life. Hallelujah. And look what God says. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. What an amazing thought. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. This is his response to those who will come to him on his terms. Now I think it's awesome that he says he'll heal. He will heal the backsliding in the heart. How's he going to do that? By the next word. I will love him freely. See because it's in his love that that's what we find. The fading heart of the backsliding heart is one that has not been in his love. It's not one that has been captured by his love because it takes time to do that. It takes time. You have to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We have to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the more time we give, the more words we express to him, our praise and thanks. There's something that happens in that. You're reminded again, wow, God really loves me. Yeah. That's what a heart of thanksgiving is really expressing. God really loves me. Yeah. 
that he would do these things for me and he would be this for me and he would help me. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your healing. And it's at those moments, see, your heart gets full of him and it opens up to receive his love for you. And when you receive his love, guess what goes away? Fear goes away because there is no fear in love. The desire for the wrong things goes away. Amen. No account of your wrongs is found in his love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all does not rejoice in iniquity, it rejoices in the truth. It keeps no record of wrongs. And you get a better understanding of who you are. As he is, love has been perfected among us in this because as he is, so are we in this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. At the completion of your understanding of his love, you realize I'm just like Jesus. Yeah. As he is, so am I. That's how much he loves me. So I want you to take those thoughts home with you uh, tonight. Use your words. God wants to hear your voice. Offer him continually. Offer, the scripture says, praise and thanks. And reaffirm your trust in him. It's not that he necessarily needs to hear that. You need to hear it. Your own ears need to hear that you're not going to trust in the ways of man. You're not going to trust in the world system. You're trusting in him. Amen? Okay, now let's go over to our attraction. All right, you guys are going to stop yawning on me, all right? This doesn't, this doesn't help me as a pastor. I'm just kidding. I'm glad you're here. All right. Hosea chapter 1. Um, yeah. Let's look at verse 1. Now we're going to see. This, this is an amazing story and how God used this, this man, Hosea. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, this happened during the reign of these kings. And where are these kings? They're in the southern kingdom in Judah. Okay? So <laughs> this tells us that that his time here in prophesying to the nation of Israel, Hosea's time is a long time, something like 50 to 70 years, all right? He was a live speaking prophet to this nation. God used him mightily. In the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now he's talking about the, the northern kingdom king, Jeroboam. Jeroboam number two, as a matter of fact. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. Can we get another word from God, please? For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took (laughs) Gomer. I wonder why she ended up out there in the streets. I can't figure it out. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of... That guy, de blame, die blame, de blame, de blame. He's de blame. For <laughs> and she, and she conceived him. She conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, "Call his name Jezreel." Now, the word, the name Jezreel, literally means God sows. God sows. For in a little while, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. 
who, and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now, you can read that account in 2 Kings chapter 10. Now, we don't have time to go into that, but you can read about what God's talking about. It's interesting that Jehu was, um, later became one of the kings of Israel, but God had given a word to Elijah to tell Jehu that he was going to destroy Ahab and all of his descendants. Remember Ahab, who was Jezebel's husband? All right, he was the, one of the kings of the northern kingdom. And, and Ahab had done evil before the Lord. And so the Lord said, there's not going to be any of his sons sit on the throne. Now, 2 Kings chapter 10 opens up talking about that Ahab. Now, this man, he's kind of a Solomon kind of guy. He has 70 sons. <laughs> yeah. means he's got a lot of ladies around, apparently. <laughs> 70 sons. And Jehu hunts these guys down and sends word that they need to kill all of them. And so he calls for the heads of these 70 sons. And the men, the scripture says there were, there were great men there. Actually, uh, Jehu hadn't come there. He just sent a word in order to get it done. Now, at this point, Jehu had already taken out two kings. All right, He had actually taken out two kings, the king of, of Judah and the, the, the king of Israel. All right, he had taken both of these guys out. So this news had gotten back to the, these guys and uh, uh, Ahab's guys, and they said, Jehu was telling us to kill these 70 sons. He, he took on two kings. We have to do what he says. So then Jehu, uh, that, then they, he says, remove their heads and then, and then bring them here, bring their heads here. So they did. They killed all 70 of, of Ahab's sons, and, and they, they bring the heads there, and he says, put them in two different piles, and they put these... <laughs> grotesque, put these heads in two different piles. And then, and then he goes on and, and he finds any other uh, kinfolk of Ahab and he slaughters all of them. And then he's on this rampage and then Jehu goes and finds those who worship this Baal, this god Baal. And they had a whole temple set up to Baal. And he says, we're, we're, we're calling a feast together and we're, we're going to offer up a great, a great sacrifice to Baal. So all of you who worship Baal, come to the temple. Now he's setting them up. He has no desire to do this, to worship Baal. So they, it says they fill up this temple from front to back, from side to side. It's jam-packed full of people. He has 80 guys surrounded this place. He says, go in there and kill every one of them. And they kill every one of those that, that worshiped Baal. I mean, this guy is hardcore, right? I mean, he is kicking butt and taking names. I mean, he is cleaning house. And so God later tells him in that chapter, he says, Jay, you did well by taking out Ahab's. That was, you did what was in my heart to do. He says, and because you've done that, your sons are going to sit on the throne to the fourth generation. And then it says, but Jehu didn't follow the law of the Lord. What? It's like he disregarded what God did. He did all of that for God's purpose and for his kingdom. And then he's, eh. And then he started worshiping the, these other gods. You think, how does that happen? And so now, because of that, God is now bringing vengeance upon the blood that was shed there so many years ago through this Jezreel. Okay, I said we weren't going to talk about it, and that's all we did. All right, so let's go. Uh, back to verse 4. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel and the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. And that simply means 
no mercy. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and I will and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned uh, Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Wow, these kids, bless their hearts. They have tough names. No mercy, not my people. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. Isn't it interesting? So God says something so like, whoo, harsh like that. And he says, yet they're going to be like the number. Well, how, how are they going to be like that? If they're not going to be your people and you're not going to be their God. Shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where I, I, it was said to them, you are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. What is God talking about? It sounds like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth here, doesn't it? He says, right now, there's coming a time when I'm going to say, you're not my sons. But then there's another time where we're going to say, you are the sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Now, whoa, interesting. We have to understand that God is talking about these times and seasons, but this time he's talking about the sons of the living God is talking about a time that has not even come to pass yet. And I'm talking about right now it hasn't come to pass yet. Because right now blindness in part has happened to Israel. Now we've got to keep reading because I, I want to... Th- this is a prophecy that, that's yet to be fulfilled that God will ultimately restore Israel as one people under one ruler and that ruler is King Jesus, who's going to sit on the throne of David. And uh, actually, let's look at Romans chapter 9. Can you bring that up? Paul mentions this very verse right here. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. Verse 26, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Now in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul is helping us understand what this dispensation of the Gentiles and the dispensation of, of Israel. All right. Now, right now, Israel is on hold. What he's, he's dealing with them. He is, he, he's, they have a veil over their hearts. The scripture says at the reading of the old Testament, they still don't have that revelation of, of the Messiah. And so right now we are in this age of grace, this tabernacle of David, where all could come freely to worship. Thank God for that. Huh? I mean, if it, Israel had not been suspended, we would not even been in this deal. All right, so we're grateful for that, but we're also excited for Israel's restoration. Amen? And so, um, but, so right now, he's dealing with us, but there is a time when God will fully restore all of that. All right? And, and like I said, I don't really understand all of that, and I'm not going to pretend like I do know. All right? But uh, Hosea became a part of his own message. It's the first three chapters God does in Hosea's life what is it's a reflection of what's happening with the nation of Israel. All right, he says, go marry this, this uh, lady of the evening and, and, and then have children, and those children are all going to represent my message to Israel, the names of those children. But then we pick up in Hosea chapter 3, which is interesting because she, has, she, she you know, gave him some sons, but then she went back to her old lifestyle. 
All right. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman. He's talking about Gomer, who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Man, this is tough for Hosea. It's got to be a little tough for him, right? First of all, he says, go get a prostitute, marry her. Now I want you to go back to her again, even after she's left you and continued this way. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. Hmm. Don't eat raisin cakes, I guess. So I bought her. So I bought her for myself for fifteen shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. So here he is. God sends him down to the square where she has been not used up by as many guys who wanted to use her up, been used up, and now she's been thrown to the side. She's been put into stocks, and now she's at an auction, being sold as a slave. And God sends. Hosea there, because God sees his people in her. And he says, go buy her, bring her back home. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be <clears throat> towards you. After her lovers had abandoned her, Hosea found her in this slave market, paid the price to reclaim her, forgave her, and took her in again as his wife. And by enduring this grief personally, and his heart now was prepared to deliver this message from God to his people, Hosea could be one that was very understanding of what God was going through. Verse 4, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Now again, this is, this, this is talking about even now. Israel's not able to do any of that. And that's why they have that wailing wall. They're wailing and they're weeping for that day to be able to reconstruct the temple and go back to uh, their way of worshiping God. And so it's a, it's, it's a tragic time for Israel as, they're being, as they are suspended. But afterward, look at verse 5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord, their God, and David, their king. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about that time when God's going to restore everything, and David here is Jesus. He's going to be sitting on the literal throne of David. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Amen. So that's a day yet to come. All right? So uh, an amazing picture of what God had Hosea do uh, to show him what he felt and what he saw in Israel. Now, um, from chapters to chapter 13, it's judgment on Israel and God's broken heart over his people. I want to just give you a couple of key verses and then we'll, we'll go to the person of Jesus. But, uh, and you can just write these down. Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. This, you might have heard this phrase. It came out of Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. They sow the wind, they reap the whirlwind. Hosea chapter 11, verse 7. Through eight, my people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. Isn't that something? None at all. They're calling to the high God, but none of them are lifting me higher than the other gods. That's what he's saying. How can I give you up, Ephraim? Now we're, now we're hearing what God is saying. He has said all these things, all the stuff that's going to happen to them. They're not going to be my people. But then, 
how can I, how, how, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboam? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. Because at the end of the day, he is good and he is merciful and he is love. And God doesn't give up on anybody. So we see this just God speaking, and we see this merciful God speaking, and this loving God speaking, and this compassionate God speaking. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. This is probably maybe the, the most famous verse out of uh, the scriptures that you know from it, and that is, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, the reason he's saying they're destroyed for lack of knowledge it wasn't because they were just ignorant. It's because they, the very next words in that verse says, because you have rejected knowledge. They lack it because they want to lack it. And that's why they're destroyed. It wasn't because they were ignorant. It's because they were purposefully rejecting God. And yet God is so, even though he is just, and, and they have to reap the consequences of their actions because there is no mediator for them at this time. There's no blood that has been shed for them that would take away their sins. So they are sowing the wind and they're reaping the whirlwind. But God always continually offers hope. And we see Jesus throughout this as the one who is the faithful husband to the bride, no matter what. We see him also in the end of this thing when all things are restored and he sits on that great throne and there's one ruler over all of Israel, over all of us. But specifically, he's talking to Israel here when Israel and Judah will come back together as one people. But it's very interesting. I wanted to pick, pick out this verse of scripture and in, in, where are we? Hosea chapter 11, verse one. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, if you're reading this in context, and we don't have time to go through all the verses, you don't really necessarily find Jesus in that verse of Scripture. It's not one that just sticks out to you like, oh, this is a prophecy of Jesus. But let's go to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, this is talking about Joseph, and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I call my son. I think this is one of those scriptures because I don't know, there's no way that he could have concluded that that was a prophecy of Jesus unless the Holy Spirit said, that's what that's about. Because in context of Hosea, it has nothing to do with Jesus. But in context of the bigger picture being the Word, it's all about Him. And this is one of those scriptures that's a reminder because we see Jesus, I mean, clearly in some of these Old Testament scriptures. I mean, I, I mean does it get clearer than Isaiah chapter 53? Right? Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our pains. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. How about this? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. 
These are obvious. In Psalm chapter 22, David sees this, this, this graphic description of the crucifixion. They pierce my hands and my feet. My bones stick out and stare at me. They mock me. They, 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 they rip my clothes uh, in two. They, they, they gamble for my clothes. I mean, obviously, right? Those are about Jesus, but this just says call out of son, uh, call the son out of Egypt. It's one of those things that reminds me, and I'm going to just re- remind you tonight, that Jesus is everywhere in this book. And this is just one of those things that helps us understand God is so consumed with his son that he, he's saying this, to help us see him, to help us see his son. So I want to encourage you, pray when, it, when you read the scriptures, especially when you're in the Old Testament, because as we've said many times, I think this is a well-said phrase, that in the Old Testament, it's Christ concealed. In the New Testament, it's Christ revealed. And so, but he's there. But if you'll dig, you'll see him again and again and again and again. It all ends at him. God, who at various times and in various ways spoken time past to us through the prophets, Hebrews chapter 1, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. In other words, I said all of that to say him. He's the final answer. He's the centerpiece of all of it. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.